This podcast may include adult content. Bound Off is an independent, nonprofit audio magazine committed to paying authors for their work. To join us in our mission of broadcasting great stories to a worldwide audience, please consider dropping us a dollar or two at boundoff.com donate. Support for this episode comes from the Loft Literary Center, located in Minneapolis, Minnesota, one of the nation's leading literary nonprofits, offering a wide array of online creative writing classes for all levels and genres. Online classes are offered seasonally. Find out how to register at loft.org. Welcome to Bound Off, a literary audio broadcast. In this edition, we have two stories, Cold Front on the Way by Sebastian Morgan Lynch and Wilhelmina by Monica Burgers. Cold Front on the Way, written and read by Sebastian Morgan Lynch. Listening time, 7 minutes, 17 seconds. Anne lived on the top floor of a block of flats and nothing exciting ever happened to her. The view was really something, though. She'd say that to all her visitors. That view's really something, she'd say. She didn't say it often because she didn't have any visitors. Her nights she spent alone in her small apartment. She would make tea with milk, drink it and look at the mountains. Often she would talk to them, fill them in. Nothing much today, mountains, just the usual. Tomorrow too, I should expect. On the bottom floor lived a thin man with grey teeth. His name was Jenkins, Mr Evan Jenkins. Anne had never talked to him. She found out his name by reading the typed letters on a little strip of paper beside his letterbox. She liked the ideas of letters on a letterbox. She liked Mr Evan Jenkins too, though she wasn't sure why. She thought he was maybe a schoolteacher. No real reason, he just looked like one. She could imagine him standing at the front of a class of boys, not girls, and teaching them geography, or geometry, trigonometry, algebra. She would roll the words around her tongue inside her head. She didn't open her mouth in public, though, as she knew that crazy people talked to themselves. She wasn't crazy, though she did live on top of a block of flats. Anne woke up every morning. She ate her breakfast on the balcony. From there, she could watch the harbour waking up, coiled around Soames Island like a big sleepy snake. The water changed colour all the time, which made it like a snake as well, she thought vaguely. Sometimes it talked to her, great, long, sad words that drifted up on the back of the wind and she would have to take special care not to listen. Some days the harbour smiled, and some days it frowned, but on her favourite days it was grey, or the colour that is to grey as polished gold is to yellow, a luminous charged translucency, making the boats seem to skate on the surface of the water like insects on a pond. A light would come from the clouds that moved through the water and made it glow from beneath. On days like these, sometimes, she would hold her breath and wait for it to happen. She wasn't sure what, though, and she had to breathe again after a minute or two. Anne often passed Mr Jenkins on the steps, after breakfast and looking at the view, at around 8.30 each morning, when she stepped off the 320th step from the top of the tower block on which she lived. She counted them, of course, but not out loud. She always paused at the bottom to make sure she hadn't got left and right confused, which might have made her want to start again. She hated starting again. Her mother had always said, or was it her father? 
Do it once, do it right. Or was it her mother? Most mornings she passed Mr. Evan Jenkins, who left his flat at around 8.30am each morning. He was a teacher. Geometry, or perhaps geography, but this morning he wasn't because in the night someone had come by and murdered him. Geometrically speaking, it was interesting. The door to Mr. Evan Jenkins' flat, for instance, was open approximately 49 degrees. This was also the angle between his splayed-out feet. From where Anne stood, she could see along the top edge of the door all the way to the doorframe and see both sides of the door. This meant in her eyes with a baseline of an isosceles triangle with a length of 320 centimetres and its apex where the door met the wall. She was also standing on the 320th step from the door of her own flat. She knew this because she had just counted every step, though not out loud. She did not know about the geometrical relationship between herself and the doorframe. She was busy, staring at her downstairs neighbour's corpse. In geographical terms, both Anne and Mr Jenkins' dead body were interesting in that they were both directly above the centre of the earth. So was every other single thing in the world, but that didn't make it any less interesting. Anne noticed that her hand was trembling as it reached out to the door. She didn't think it was the cold, though a cold front had been reported on the radio. She had smiled at the thought, imagining it like when she knelt in front of her fridge to get her dinner out. But it wasn't cold that made her hand tremble as she put her foot on the 321st step from the top of the tower block where she lived, leaned forward, and tried to shut the door on Mr Jenkins' murdered corpse. His foot was in the way. She noticed he had slightly worn size 8.5 Oxford loafers with the crenellated sole for superior grip. She was shuddering now, and that definitely wasn't the cold. Her thick woolen cardi was clutched around her as she stepped onto the floor, onto the little blue and white tiles arrayed in the shape of an elephant. She stretched out her shoe, pushing at the loafer. It didn't want to move. She pushed harder, holding onto the door. Anne's mouth was making a bubbling, moaning sort of noise, which her brain didn't recall ever having heard before. It flipped through the possibilities. When she hurt her leg? No, that was more of a wailing. When father died? Snuffling, with a wheezy undernote. It stopped when she got the door closed, so her brain stopped worrying about it. In fact, all the noise stopped at the click of the lock. Like, she thought, when you're talking to someone on the telephone and they put their hands over the mouthpiece to say, it's her again, and laugh. A dense, scratchy blanket of silence. Outside, things were different. They didn't look different. The big eucalyptus was still there, straddling the concrete fence. The sky was the same uneasy blue with a few stringy clouds lounging about. They didn't look different either, but they were. Anne looked at the tree. It looked back at her, raising a quizzical eyebrow. Or it would have, she thought, if it had eyebrows or eyes. It was that sort of look. It had rained in the night. Eucalyptus leaves were plastered all over the ground, adhering to the patches of water. Anne worked in a store that sold shoes and clothes that no one had a use for anymore. A big woman, called Mary, was the owner of the shop and everything in it. She didn't own Anne, but Anne thought she would like to, just for tidiness. "'Morning, Anne,' said Mary. "'How's your weekend? Get up to anything exciting!' Anne thought about finding the body of Mr Jenkins. Probably wasn't a common thing to have happen. She had never heard of it happening to any of her friends, but then again she had no friends. Maybe in the smart sets it happened all the time. Still, it probably can't as exciting. She nodded, slowly at first, then more vigorously, but Mary didn't notice. 
She was already neck deep into a big box of oddments someone had left during the night. Anne had a sudden vision of the harbour, glowing with the secret inner light, the boats barely touching the water, the radiance coming down from the sky and lifting her up, up, up from her little balcony and her tea and her scratchy wooden cardigan and the murdered corpse of her downstairs neighbour. Then the bell tinkled for her first customer, an old man in scuffed steel caps. Anne looked at him and smiled. Sebastian Morgan Lynch lives in Wellington, New Zealand. He also plays cello and composes music for theatre. This is his first published story. Wilhelmina. Written and read by Monica Burgers. Listening time, 12 minutes, 5 seconds. Wilhelmina by Monica Burgers. At eight years of age, Wilhelmina was a fine swimmer, crossing the narrow lake with her older sister by her side to make sure she didn't drown. Her mother and father sat on the sandy bank near her brother, drinking wine and arguing. It was mid-morning, the light glinting through the trees, shadows of branches cooling the water's surface. She swam with her head down, eyes squinted shut, thinking of her schoolmates and her mother cross over breakfast. Her mother woke early to shepherd them eating cheese, bread, and an egg before leaving. Then the long walk to the lake, which was wet with dew and hanging branches, the path cooled to the girl's bare feet, as she and her brother and sister ran ahead of their parents, voices hushed in the morning quiet. It was Wilhelmina's birthday, and she was filled with the exquisiteness of the beach. Swimming she was not just a girl, but a dolphin. She was the water itself. Her father taught them to swim in this lake, the belle of the Rhineland, when no other father taught their children with such determination for their independence. The water purified the plants and the earth. Why shouldn't it help his children? Even her brother, just two years younger and full of a boy's courage, did not love the water the way she did. They divided their time the way all children in the village did, helping their families survive and stealing threadbare hours of daylight for school. When she was too tired to sleep, her body stunned by work in the field, she could dream of swimming with her siblings and be rejuvenated. Her mother baked bread and served as a maid to a rich family, and on this day when she had work, they told her to take a holiday, they could serve tea themselves, to celebrate her youngest daughter's birthday. They favored her children, God knew why, and she wished them God's grace. She would have enjoyed the solitude on this morning like any other, sitting a moment to drink coffee before cleaning the family's breakfast setting. The repetitive nature of life was more interesting to her than a day off. What did she need with a holiday? On the walk to the lake, her stomach knew what she did not. Something was wrong. She was cross, and her husband insisted on wine, taking the bottle from the cupboard at the last moment and shoving it into his satchel. They were sober, hard-working people and this was his attempt at rest. She could not help but think of the family and what they would think. It was a reflexive action, burdened by the duties of a servant to think first of her employers with their five children and then her own little family. She took her task seriously and fretted inwardly when a cup was dropped or the dog urinated in the laundry or a second maid was hired to help with the cleaning. This maid was a girl with a snub nose and long blonde hair pulled into a bun. She was quick to learn the habits of the children, quick to encourage the matriarch to try new styles with her hair. Wilhelmina's mother found her intolerable, 
a simpering ladder-climber, vying for the role of housekeeper. She called to her children to be careful, but they jumped into the lake, laughing with the cold. Her husband set a blanket on the bank, which served as a beach, and together they sat quietly. His nearness was not a comfort to her now. Her back ached, and she worked so hard there were days her hands would not do as she commanded them, but instead bent slowly to the task. Each day was another she faced bravely, feeling all the effort it took to exist, and yet knowing a deficit lodged within her which would eventually widen. Her youth was spent. The girl splashed lazily in the lake. Her husband uncapped the wine and took a drink. When the sun emerged from a cloud and the birds in the trees fell back to their rhythm of calling to one another, she felt the feeling in her stomach again. "'I've lost the job,' he said. "'I'm sorry.' He looked away, swigging wine. What happened? Her voice revealed little emotion. The girl swam on, unaffected, her son's white arms flapping in the water near shore. Her husband went on. But I will find another, always do, that much I do know. She only gazed at him, but she could see how much her lack of response hurt him. Reluctantly, he said, the foreman told some men they were to stay and some men to go. He never liked me. I don't have to say it. When? Last night. She understood now why they had come, not for Wilhelmina's birthday, but so he could tell her they were hard up. They would have to work merely to save themselves from hunger. She sniffed, thinking it will happen again and again, thinking I have married a fool. The sand, the tree leaves, her husband's maddening silence, everything took on a mechanical quality, as though at a distance. She barely breathed. Taking the bottle from her husband, she forced herself to drink. The wine was sour, but she swallowed it without shivering. This was how it felt to keep two houses, always being strong, always torn between a job well done and poverty. As long as the wine cut all the way down to her belly, she felt no fear of crying. She was an open flame. Her husband tried to pull the bottle away, but she drank until she couldn't breathe and felt she would suffocate. Then, spluttering, she thrust the bottle into his hands. "'God damn you and your pride!' she coughed, but the words had none of their usual force. She wanted to beat his neck and shoulders with her fists, wanted to run from the fear she felt, but she could do neither, and so bled her anger by crying. At least she was allowed to do this much as a wife. The neighbor Donovan's boy stood near to them, bare-chested and lanky in a pair of trousers, shorn just above the knee, strong feet splayed on the packed mud. His mouth twisted in disgust or a kind of childish ignorance, though he was more man than boy now. He was a polite boy, frightened, as all good men were, by a woman's emotions. She turned her face away and blew her nose into a handkerchief. Sensing the presence of another, her husband quickly stood, and held his hand out the way he would with the boy's father. "'Good morning. Have you come for a swim?' The boy had been twice to help with their wood stacking when the load was too much for her husband. He murmured a reply, and fixed his gaze on the sandy bank. In the water the girls splashed, excited at this addition to their party. The normally shy Wilhelmina swam to where her feet could touch the sand, and standing called, "'Come out, Wolf, come out!' She waved, and then, blazing with confidence that she could command anyone, dove into the water. Her mother dried her face and smiled at the boy. "'How is your family?' she said, 
and would say a hundred times if it meant life could easily be smoothed like a sheet on the bed. The young man nodded in reply. Though he may look like a young man, his actions were still those of a boy, shoving himself among her daughters, the way a large dog climbed ignorantly to his master's lap. The girls were not used to any man but their father, and they shied away from him until he splashed them using his long arms. She stood with her husband, watching the children in silence. One day she would hate them for doing everything she could not, but now the wine lifted her spirits somewhat, gave her a feathery feeling. Her husband put a hand on her arm. It was no apology, no promise that anything would be better, but she did not shrug it away. She linked her arm in his, laid her head on his shoulder, inhaling, resolute. In Deutschland, Wilhelmina was known as a long swimmer. She could hold her breath and pull herself through the water like a man. The lake near their village was large and tepid as bathwater in the summer, bringing to its edge the young men who skipped school and the few girls who could get away from their mothers. An afternoon swim was the only delight they took from young men on a regular basis, unless one counted the infrequent church dance or wedding, which was for everyone to see. Wilhelmina preferred swimming. The girls might have treaded water or perhaps waded elementarily with their heads above the break, but she was the only one who had the courage to put her head under and crawl, the way her father taught her. She had grown to be somewhat beautiful, having her father's brown eyes. Once she turned sixteen, she piled her blonde hair atop her head and didn't listen to her mother, who said she was only a maiden, a girl, and not a very attractive girl. "'You won't catch a man with that ambition,' her mother said, "'or showing off, either. "'I say this as sure as I love God.' "'But she did catch a young man.' She and Wolf swam to the middle of the lake together, splashing and laughing as near as two best friends. He was destined to be a mechanic like his father, strong and lithe-limbed and handsome, with thick corn-silk hair, which he ran his fingers through every time he came out of the water. She loved him, and always had, but it made her sick to remember how the other girls fawned over him. When he tried to hold her hand under water, she pushed him away, challenging him to a race back to the shore. They set off in a burst of laughter. He finished first, of course, and waited to pull her out of the water once she reached him. But she was stubborn and stood heaving, squint-eyed in the sun, squeezing the heaviness out of her slip. The young men smoked on the grassy beach and gazed at her figure. Her nipples were hard and cold. This gaze was what her mother warned her of. Her friend Maria's father had slapped her for swimming with young men. She collected her dress and hurried away from the group. She would dry herself and change in the woods where the trees were close together. Wolf caught up to her, jumping through the tangled grass, and said, Will the beautiful Wilhelmina come back tomorrow? He touched her wet hair. She felt a thrill in her blood and brushed his hand away. Naturally, and stop calling me beautiful. You know I am not. "'You are as sure as the sun,' he said, grinning. "'He touched the back of her hand before heading home. "'Wilhelmina had trouble sleeping that night. "'Wolf, with his silken hair and strong shoulders, "'kept her thoughts company. "'He had been near enough to kiss, "'his mouth wet as a plum. "'She hugged herself. "'But Wolf did not come to the lake any more after that. "'His father received word from Munich "'of an apprenticeship and sent his son. "'It would last four years.' 
This was the man she was destined to marry, except what use is destiny when life is yet to be lived. She cried privately until her mother told her to get to her feet and stop dreaming. She had been invited to work in her mother's employer's house. This was her opportunity, not a boy in Munich, not marriage. Wilhelmina cried harder, angrier tears. She wanted only Wolf, but he sent no letters. The silence stretched taut between them. He would grow to be the handsomest and most skilled man in the village. Even as a young man, anyone could see he would devote himself to her, though she would not recognize it as love until years later, when she and her brother stood on the deck of a ship and saluted the motherland for the last time. Only then, at sixteen, on the precipice of life in a new world, would she understand that she had made a mistake. But then, the water swirling and breaking at the bow of the great ship, hundreds of others milling around on deck, it would be too late. Monica Burgers is at work on a novel about love and murder in Dust Bowl, Nebraska. She divides her time between Omaha and Iowa City. Listener-supported Bound Off is made possible by grants from the Curran Family Endowed Fund. Further support comes from the Google Grants Program. Thanks for listening to this edition of Bound Off. Copyright Bound Off and the respective authors. All rights reserved. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts and how to submit your stories.